What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Two Feet on the Ground Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, today you're going to get the opportunity to hear from Air Force fighter pilot, also Thunderbird, you know, some of those aerial fighter planes that fly around and you, we sit there and watch and go, holy smokes, look at what they just did. Yes, today's guest did that for three years. She's now turned entrepreneur. I love her her mindset, both in life and in leadership, organizational development. And I can say that from being someone that has been following her for a while on LinkedIn and really enjoying the content that she's producing. Uh, I think you're going to get a lot from this podcast episode. So folks, uh, grab a piece of paper and a pencil. You're going to want to take some notes probably. Uh, but before we get into the interview with Michelle, I want to talk about Service Peace Warrior. Service Peace Warrior is a 501c nonprofit that's dedicated to helping our nation's veterans. Folks that are returning with war-related PTSD or other injuries, Service Peace Warriors is filling the gap. They're stepping up, raising all the funds, and equipping veterans with service animals for 100% free. That's zero cost to the veteran. And they've even taken it a step further. They started Maddox Dog Training Academy, a for-profit company that further funds Service Peace Warriors. And then through Maddox Dog Training Academy, they're also equipping first responders with service animals as well. They're an amazing organization, folks. Check them out, servicepeacewarriors.org. Folks, with that, let's jump into my interview with Michelle. Michelle Curran, thanks for joining me here on the Gravity Podcast. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, I love that you and I have some mutual experience, definitely different roles in the Air Force, but just uh, having that commonality has me excited about some of the things we're going to be talking about today. Um, you were a fighter pilot, and I want to get to that here in just a little bit. And, and then you, I'm a fighter pilot. I'm going to take it a step further and become a Thunderbird pilot. But before we get into that stuff, I want the guests, or excuse me, the guests, I want the the listeners just to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us just about you know where you grew up, uh, family dynamics, and, and where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from uh, Medford, Wisconsin. It's a pretty small town, north central part of the state, about 4,000 people, no military uh, bases nearby. So I really grew up with no exposure to the military at all or to aviation outside of flying commercially occasionally. Um, but I, blew, I grew up to two super hardworking blue collar parents that always encouraged me to go after whatever I wanted to do, but they didn't have a college fund for me, but they knew that there were scholarship opportunities out there. And people are like, why'd you join the air force? And I wish I had the, the depth that as a 17 year old to be like, I want to defend my country and be bigger than something or bigger, excuse me, part of bigger uh, something bigger than myself, but it was really just looking for a way to pay for my education initially. Of course, it evolved. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of us. And yeah. I think some people are scared to say that's the reason, but the military education benefits are there for a reason. So Absolutely. everyone's well aware that that's a benefit. Um, but yeah, I joined the Air Force and I actually went off to college as a criminal justice major. Yes. Yeah, right. I wanted to be an FBI agent or work for the CIA. That was my grand plan as a high school kid. 
And I think I would have enjoyed doing that. Um, but about halfway through college, I actually got to see some fighter aircraft fly for the first time. And I was shocked by how awesome it was. I was like, forget that. I'm going to go do that. And I just shifted my goal. Like that moment, I completely shifted what I wanted to do. And I was already, you know, kind of on a path headed that direction. And I just threw my name in the hat to compete for a pilot slot and got one and went off to pilot training from there. And then the whole 13 year uh, active duty career as a fighter pilot started. That's awesome. Now you also wear some other some other titles as mom. Yes. Yeah. I have a nine-year-old stepson. So I only became his mom, you know, a few years ago, but it's been awesome. He's, he's so funny. And I realized I was really missing out on that. And when I, all of a sudden, you know, put that hat hat on overnight one day, it's been super rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are remarkable. They add, uh, they add perspective sometimes uh, for me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, the the positions that you've held both as a fighter pilot in the Air Force and as, as a on the Thunderbirds, uh, I think a lot of people would assume, well, you must have been a meteor eater growing up, right? You were that jock and you just, you were always successful. But as I've learned a little bit more about you, I know that you talk about being painfully shy when you were younger. Yeah. Uh, so what was that process like coming out of that uh, that shell? I was definitely a very shy, quiet kid. Um, I was a straight A student, but I was the one that would avoid social situations, didn't want to be put on the spot in front of others. And I don't know that it completely went away. I think that's still part of my personality. I'm still introverted. I still recharge by having my quiet time to myself. I think I just learned to manage it. And joining the military forced me to be put in positions all the time where I felt uncomfortable and it forced me to adjust my threshold of what I was okay doing. And over time that kind of just evolved. And I, I hate this saying, but I think it was a whole lot of fake it till you make it where I would just swallow my anxiety and I would go do whatever the thing was in front of people. And I found it rewarding, but it still was uncomfortable for me. I think there's power in that because there's a lot of folks that feel that way. And that they assume that all the people that they see doing a great job at something have to be extroverts, have to just be naturally gifted at this. And when they hear someone say, hey, I'm an introvert, and this wasn't easy for me at first, it makes them go, oh, hey, I could do that maybe, right? It like plants that seed. Yes. And I talk about that in, um, I'm doing speaking now, and I talk about that exact thing that we put people on a pedestal, people that we admire, that we look up to. And when you do that, you think they have some like magical attribute that you don't have. And as soon as you think that way, you limit what you see as possible for yourself. And so my goal is to really be completely transparent with people and vulnerable and share the struggles that I had, because I think it suddenly opens their eyes to what they can accomplish, despite some things that they might be dealing with. Yeah, I love the vulnerability in one of your LinkedIn posts, you talk about being at your first squadron after going through training and and being permanent party assigned. And you felt like you were in over your head. You're looking left and right. And you're like, man, these people are good at what they do. And you just felt like you were constantly trying to keep up. Uh, What was, can you say just, what was that like for you? So I think up until that point, that was my first combat squadron in Misawa, Japan. So I had already gone through two years of air force 
pilot training, a year of learning to fly the F-16. So I was, you know, three years or more out of college, was in this new aircraft. And up until that point, I had done pretty well. Those kind of study habits I built as a kid also came with me being a little bit of a perfectionist. And so consistently, if I put in the work for something, I was, you know, at the top of my class, I did well, I was in top 10%, whatever it was. And at that young age, that was my identity. There was no separation between who I was as a person and the things I had accomplished. So when I got to Masawa and suddenly, you know, the standard of the people around you as you move through all those levels goes up. And so I had consistently been at the top. Now I'm just like everyone else. I'm average. I'm learning a new thing. It's very difficult. Everyone's bad at it at first. Um, And that was a shock to the system. And so it took a whole, it took a while, I would say several years and a whole bunch of self-reflection and reframing and finding other things I was passionate about that I could, you know, form an identity around to get through that. Because when that was taken away, I was like, oh, I'm not good enough to be here. And who am I to be here? I don't know who I am without being the one that's the best at everything. Yeah. I I oftentimes uh, relate with the phrase uh, that I'm a recovering perfectionist. The Air Force taught me I could be perfect. I could fold my underwear, my socks, uh, and my t-shirts to perfection, actually. And, and then all of a sudden I get out into the real world. And all I mean by the real world is, is those, those learning points in early training, I think are, are important. Uh, but in reality, when we move into the operational air force or other organizations, I want the folks that I lead to feel safe in failing. I don't want them to fail in big ways. We don't want the loss of life or in my profession as a police officer, we don't want to violate people's constitutional rights. But I do want them to fail because that means that they're pushing themselves to another level, right? I mean, if if you were just always safe in the cockpit of an F-16, I'm just going to be safe. Let's not try. Let's not fly too fast. I'm guessing you're not achieving the objective of what you guys are trying to do as fighter pilots. Right. It's all about being able to take calculated risks. And if you play it safe all the time and recovering perfectionist is a great way to put it because growth comes with putting yourself out there. Like you, you cannot grow as a person or in the skill set you're trying to get better at or whatever it is without taking some risk that you might fail. Like it's just not how it works. And so I was at a point then in that first assignment where I was so afraid to fail. And I was so afraid for other people to see any sort of weakness or vulnerability. in me. I had to prove myself in that environment that I held myself back because of that, because I was afraid to put myself out there to experience things that would have actually improved my career and would have grown me as a person quicker because they came with the risk of failure. So I was in this little mental cave of just being afraid of putting myself out there and wondering who I was and why I was in the spot where I still didn't feel good enough. And it was a rough period. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely relate there. I, I, and I like uh, somewhere in one of your posts, I can't remember uh, which one you talk about uh, imposter, feeling like an imposter. And I've heard other people call it the imposter syndrome. And I just, I, I connect with that. Now there's a piece of it that I like. I feel like if you feel like you're an imposter, there's there's a piece of it for me that I recognize the people I work with are really remarkable at what they do, right? I'm not working in this, this garbage organization that just 
I'm the superstar because everyone else is really bad. I'm working in organizations where everyone else is really good and it's causing me to, to be even better. However, staying in that for too long, right? And, and, and having the, the mindfulness to recognize, to get out of your own way, maybe lack of a better term, right? To, to get out of your own way and, and, and take some calculated risks, as you said. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point with that view on it. If you have the awareness to have that view when you go into a new role, something that's challenging, you're like, okay, everyone here is better than me and I aspire to be like them and I'm not as good as them yet you're probably in a good spot. But like you said, you can't stay like that forever. You have to progress and you eventually will rise up to that same level. You know, you tend to, your potential as a person tends to be either enhanced or limited by the people you're surrounded by. So, I mean, I encourage people to put a lot of thought into the people that they keep close to them because of that. But yeah, it can be, if you don't have the, the insight to see it in that way, it can be tough and you can definitely stand in your own way. Yeah. Hey, you posted something else. Uh, I think it's within the last couple of weeks. You talk about stuff being in our blinders and you had two circles in the post. There was the objective facts and uh, what com- confirms our own beliefs already. And there was the shaded area right in the middle being that's kind of what we're limited in seeing. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? So the story I told with that was I was on a check ride, which for people that aren't familiar every 18 months or so you do an evaluation and it, it's uh, very stressful. It's like your big annual exam. And even in the air force, that record goes to the FAA. So that's, if you mess those up, that can have long lasting repercussions on your career, even as you leave the military and go into civilian aviation. And so everyone gets really nervous before check rides. And it was, you know, one early in my career, again, when I was in Japan, Japanese controllers, accents, all the things. So there's some, some additional layers there, but I took off on one runway, went and flew my flight. It went great. I came back and in my head, I had rehearsed so much. I had flown through this whole flight, you know, in my imagination, many times to prepare. And while I was out in the airspace, they had actually switched the runway that they were landing on because the wind shifted or whatever, which is fairly common and not a big deal. But I came back and I started entering the pattern to the runway I had taken off on. So the wrong runway. And I, in hindsight, there were all of these things that should have been very obvious red flags being like, Hey, idiot, they switched runways, but I was so set on, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening that I just ignored them. And I think people do that a lot and you see it a lot in just society right now, right. With political stuff and controversy. And I don't want to get into all of that, but people put on their blinders and they see the world only through one perspective and everything's just black or white and there's no gray. And all of those issues have a huge gray area in them. The ones that are super controversial right now. And it's, it's very frustrating because it doesn't really matter what evidence is presented. You just don't see it. Yeah. Michelle, that's actually what inspired my wife and I to start this podcast is we felt like we were in this season of life and in our world where there there is black and white, left and right. You have to pick a side. And by the way, once you pick the side, the other side's the enemy. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a lot of diversity of friends that we disagree on politics, on faith, on other aspects of life. And I love them. They are remarkable people. We just disagree in some ways and that's okay. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and having the capacity, and I, I feel like we've lost the capacity as humans to listen to each other, to really listen and listen with curiosity. I'm stealing words from uh, an NPR host called uh, named Celeste Headley. And she talks about listening with curiosity, assuming that someone else has something really unique about them to bring to the table. And uh, I, I assume in being a pilot, listening, paying attention is super, super important. Like you said there, because the the flight controller might be giving you something other than what you assumed. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be ready to shift your thoughts and your perceptions based on the evidence. And I try really hard, even when people say things that I definitely don't agree with, I try to imagine myself in their shoes and their experiences and understand why they think that way and why they feel that way. And I think that's a key thing to have as a leader to be able to empathize with your people and understand the different situations people are coming from. And it only makes you, you know, a better leader and a better teammate, but it is rarely seen today. And it's very frustrating. And honestly, I, it's rarely seen, but I think the majority of people do think that way. They're just not the loudest voices. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, talking about polarizing views, you recently did a post on LinkedIn. <laughs> Woo! I think oh, last count was 198 comments. And all you were doing was making a little comment about Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And wow, it just blew up some responses there. And I I, I saw you post on today's post, you followed up with, oh, I should have added a line about posts about Top Gun Maverick uh, also create vulnerability. And so that caused me like, what, what did people think? It was a pretty benign post. And I read everything. I was like, wow, that you grabbed some comments there, girl. Yeah. And I was honestly shocked. So there's a whole, you know, I'm trying to grow a following on LinkedIn because I did that on Instagram and it's just such a great way to build a community. And it's such a great thing for an entrepreneur to have that community. And I like meet amazing people that way all the time. And there's, you know, one school of thought that putting out a contrarian opinion will grow the visibility for your brand. And I've read that. And I actually had tried to brainstorm some controversial opinions that I could post about that I felt comfortable posting about. And I had a hard time doing it. This post about Top Gun was not on that list. And I did not think it fell into that category. Um, I've gotten a lot of messages before I put that out where people were asking what I thought about the movie. And the movie was awesome. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. Twice opening weekend. Right. So good. Right. I went and saw it in the theater the week it came out as well. So good. And the flying was amazing. It, it was awesome. But I do as in my current business, try to take things from being a fighter pilot that people in business or people on teams or people just looking to develop themselves can learn from. And that's really what I saw this post as pointing out that the arrogance of like the hangman character is just not accurate to how most fighter pilots are that that gets people killed. That's not, it's all about working together as a team and people lost their minds. I was surprised at first, then a little bit shocked. And then honestly frustrated despite the engagement it brought, because so I think that post on LinkedIn has 70,000 people have seen it. And I reposted it on Instagram just to see what the response was there. And it's again, something like 80,000 people have seen it on there. And it went from the kind of annoying responses where it's just a movie lighten up. It's just a movie, which, okay, fine. 
to people calling me Karen, which I've never been called before, uh, to people <laughs> swearing at me, to a oh, real wow. gem, real gem this morning that told me I was a quitter and I was a waste of government dollars because I left the uh, Air Force at 13 years and didn't stay for 20, and that my aspiring author that's in my bio line, um, like however you have to justify being a quitter, and I was just like. All I said was arrogance isn't welcome in the fighter pilot community and holy crap, people lost it. So yeah, a little bit surprised by that reaction. That was not the goal, but that's where we're at right now, I guess. Well, and this is what I would, uh, this is the way I feel about that is uh, the, the folks that respond that way to you, they're not the people I'm learning leadership leadership principles from, right? It's, it's the, the calm in the storm are the people I look to and say, Hey, this person has something. What I loved about your post is, and I fully enjoyed the movie. Oh my gosh. Like it was, it was, yeah. Loved it. I'm going to buy it as soon as I can. I'd I'd probably drop a couple hundred bucks if I could have an early release right now on Blu-ray slash, you know, digital copy and everything. But what I loved about what you put was it's important to recognize that. Yeah. We can watch it for entertainment value, but here's the, the reality. Hollywood drives the way we as humans think about things. And right now, my profession as a police officer, people have a lot of assumptions. If I come out to investigate a crime at your house, I should be able to find uh, trace evidence, DNA, fingerprints, fibers, glass. I should process it. I should find the suspect, get a full confession and have it all wrapped up within about 55 minutes. And if I don't, there's something wrong with me. Oh, and also, by the way, since I'm a police officer, I must be racist. Uh, I must be prejudiced on like nine different levels. And that's the reality for some people because that's all they know and all they see. And, and so I'm trying to tell the story, the true story that I've experienced as being a police officer in the Air Force, in greater Seattle, and now in Eastern Washington, of that's not the people that I've worked with. I work with remarkable public servants that care about the community and that are willing to take extreme, as you said, calculated risks in some standpoints, or I should say it's calculated in the extreme is in some, uh, some, some instances in order to preserve life and serve the community. And so uh, I liked your post uh, for the fact that it pointed out great movie and the arrogant stuff doesn't really work in the fighter pilot world. Yeah. And the whole point was to teach people that aren't in the fighter pilot world, how they can use that in their own lives. Right. The point was to not to say that, man, this movie is not very accurate because if we did that, I would have had a much longer post but I see the entertainment value in it. And it was great. It was, you know, in teams, arrogance is, is poison in the well. And I actually, I you know wrote a week's worth of posts earlier um, over the weekend. And I'm going to double down on that later this week, not related to the movie, but that specific thing. And I, yeah, I was fairly shocked. And I, I know exactly what you're saying about the, police officer community has been under the microscope and you take one bad interaction or a handful of bad interactions and it forms people's opinions for the masses. And that's really not, it's really not fair. And that's happening to so many different groups right now. And it's super frustrating. And it's just where we're at as a society. It's when it gets thrown in your face, uh, it's disappointing. And I lose faith in society a little bit. And then I remember the people I actually interact with personally, day-to-day one-on-one interactions, and they're all amazing people. And I know that's the bulk. That's the majority of Americans. It's just strange world we're in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, take us to the cockpit for a second. 
what is it like flying a rocket ship? I mean, I don't know what else to call an F-16, uh, but can you just kind of give us from the G-force to just everything that that experience has been like for you? You, when you're doing it every day, you lose perspective on how cool it is and how amazing of a machine F-16 is. Um, considering how long it's been around, it's still so good at the mission sets that it does. And it does pretty much everything, which is really cool. And flying for the Thunderbirds was a completely different focus. So I went from trying to be an expert in tactics and platforms and weapons and how they integrate with everyone else to really focusing on the hardcore flying of the jet. And I did things in the airplane as a Thunderbird that I'd never done before in my, you know, six plus years of flying that aircraft before that. And it was awesome to see the climb rate, to see the precision that it can operate with, to see the full effects of what the rudder can do. Cause you pretty much never use that in any other situation to fly upside down for extended periods of time. That's not something you do normally. There's just no reason to do it. And it's uncomfortable. I did that on a regular basis and to do that hundred feet above the ground. It was it was surreal a lot of the time. The G-forces are painful. They're they're uncomfortable. You do get used to them to some extent, but they are very hard on your body. Um, doing that on a regular basis, multiple times a day for, for three years, the solo profile on the Thunderbirds is very high G compared to what your average fighter pilot pulls on a regular basis. Um, so that's hard on the neck and the back and really your entire body. So I I am feeling that still now after not flying for six plus months, but it's, uh, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't undo it. It's, it was a unique experience and I can try to describe it as much as possible, but unless you've really experienced it firsthand, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I was stationed at Kunsan air base and we have, we had two squadrons of F-16s there and I, I graduated airman leadership school and, and got some awards and my chief, the, um, the base chief, command chief, put me in for a courtesy flight and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. And then it didn't happen. But um, Dang. yeah, I, I can, I, yeah, oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh. Because, you know, we'd see them take off and and then we'd see them go up in the air. And it was just like, oh my gosh, that has to be so ridiculously amazing. Hey, you guys have call signs. So that piece of Top Gun is accurate. How does that come up, come about and, and how did you get the call sign mace? So it's a call signs are a whole part of fighter pilot culture. It's a a big part of it. Um, You're given your call sign by your squadron and that's your first combat squadron. So, you know, I went through F-16 training out at Luke in Phoenix, Arizona for a year. And then when I went to my first combat squadron in Misawa, they give you several months until you're through what's called mission qualification training. At that point, you're kind of given the blessing where, you know, if a war kicked off tomorrow, you could go into combat as a wingman in the F-16. And so once you've kind of checked that box, then they'll have a naming um, to decide what your call sign is going to be. And most call signs sound pretty cool, but every single one that I know of is given to you after something dumb you did or a mistake (laughs) you made. Yeah. So most people never know the story behind your call sign. And that's kind of for good reason. Most people will have a made up story of how they got it. If it's not something they can tell their mom or the general public, Um, it can be 
everything from making a mistake in the aircraft to some bodily function mishap to like, there's just so many different things that they can come from. And a reason that they wait until you've been on station for four to five months is because that gives them enough time to have plenty of material of dumb things you've done because it's a difficult job. Everyone makes all kinds of mistakes at first. So you're going to have fodder to use to come up with ideas for call signs. And so I like to save the exact meaning of mace for one-on-one interactions with people, or I actually do talk about it in my keynote, but it's kind of a unique thing because I'm in person with the audience and it's just a cool thing to share, but it is an ode to breaking the sound barrier when I wasn't supposed to. So a mistake I made as a lieutenant. All right. I like it. Well, someone can look to find one of your in-person talks, right? In order to hear the full story. I like that. For sure. Hey, tell me about Upside Down Dream. What, uh, tell me about the meaning of this and, you know, what's behind it. So I kind of knew I was going to leave active duty as I approached the end of my time in the Thunderbirds. And there were several reasons for that. I kind of, I talked earlier, you know, I had really sought out other things I was passionate about and developed my identity as a person during my second assignment after I left uh, Masao, Japan. And there's a lot of other goals I have and a lot of other dreams I want to pursue besides just flying. And I think that's difficult for a lot of people to understand because it is such a a cool job that a lot of people aspire to find themselves in. And I'm really glad I did it. Um, But when I decided I was going to leave active duty and explore options, the airlines, of course, was one. But I just felt like I wouldn't be very fulfilled doing that despite right now they could probably definitely use more pilots. I know there's a huge shortage. Every time I see that headline, I'm just like, but when I looked back at my time on the team, the thing I liked the most, more than even the really fun flying was inspiring other people. And as soon as I stepped from a green flight suit into a blue flight suit and was in front of a crowd, I was given the power and the responsibility to be able to do that overnight. And at first it made me a little bit uncomfortable. I felt the weight of it, especially being the only female pilot on the team. There was especially a lot of responsibility there. But when I started to see the reactions of little girls on the flight line or women or um, men and boys too, and I was on the team long enough with three years that I got to see some of that come full circle where I'd have a conversation with someone and then they would reach out to me a year later, two years later And they'd be like, hey, you probably don't remember me, but we talked for two minutes at whatever air show or you replied to my message on social media and I took your advice and I went and did the thing and here was the result. And it was so rewarding and so cool to see that happening. And I wanted to keep doing that. And people had reached out to me to speak at events while I was still on the Thunderbirds and I just couldn't do it. Um, There's some conflict of interest stuff while you're on active duty and our schedule was absolutely insane. There was just no time. But as I approached time where I could leave, I started to look into that as a serious option. And I realized there's actually an entire market for it. And there's so much good to be done in that space. And I get to see people being inspired in front of my eyes. And it's such a cool position to still be in. And I love it. It's so fulfilling. It's a little bit of a roller coaster being an entrepreneur. Um, But I think I made the right decision. I've not had a single day so far where I wondered if I should have made another decision. 
Yeah. And getting back into calculated risk, right? Because that's what it was. Yep. You could have stayed on active duty. That would have been safe. I mean, dangerous because you're a fighter pilot. So right. that gets dangerous. Right. In this. But, but the job piece is safe. You could have become a commercial airline pilot. Great job. We need pilots. Yep. Also relatively safe or launching out to continue to inspire other folks, uh, which is a great calling, but it's scary a little bit, right? I mean, it's, are people going to want to listen to me? I mean, that's the question I'm asking all the time doing a podcast. Do, do people want to listen or not? Right. It's it's the whole imposter syndrome thing. It's like being thrust back into a new environment that I'm not comfortable with anymore. And yeah, there's moments where I get you know contacted by big companies where I'm like, wow, they're actually, they want me to come speak there or at a convention that's a very large crowd. And there are moments where I'm like, Am I going to be able to give them their money's worth? Am I going to have the impact that they're paying me to have? And so far, when I actually do the event, they've all been absolutely incredible. And yeah. when it's over, I can I don't doubt if I brought value or not. It's that first contact I get or that first right when the contract gets signed or I do have those moments where I'm, am I in over my head? <sighs> yeah. Well, I love what you're doing. I, I have four daughters. I don't think I shared that with you before. And, uh, and my lovely wife is absolutely phenomenal. Just the, the, the example that she's been to them, but I love seeing strong women, uh, breaking the mold of, of different professions. Cause I want my girls to dream big. Right. I want them. I don't care what they are. They can be doctors. They can be actors. They can, they can go on and do whatever they want, but I want them to dream big. I don't want them to be limited by, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I've seen that. Uh, in some of the things you, that you've had the opportunity to do all on active duty, uh, appearing on different talk shows and whatnot, and just making little girls' eyes get really, really big because you're a Thunderbird pilot. Like, oh my gosh, right? It's just, it's been cool. What has that experience been like you, for you? I, I, know, I know you just spoke about that a little bit, but in being on some of these national talk shows and having these little kids' eyes get so big. It's kind of twofold and they're, they contradict each other a little bit. It's stressful because I feel like I need to do it right. And that if I'm given the opportunity to be on a platform that large, like the Kelly Clarkson show or the CBS evening news, and I know that millions of people probably are going to see this eventually with the replays and everything. I want to represent the air force well, and I also want to represent other female fighter pilots well. And I want to use that to inspire others as much as possible for that short little window I have. Um, so there's that, but then it's also just so rewarding and it's, it's cool. It's a surreal experience. I never expected to be getting my hair and makeup done in a green room in Hollywood to go on the Kelly Clarkson show. That's just, I'm a, I was an officer in the air force. Like that's not something you put on your bucket list of career objectives. Um, yeah. So it, it was overall amazing experiences for all of those really high profile, um, events and just seeing the positive response from them was part of what gave me the confidence to make the leap into what I'm doing now. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I wanted to get to another post you did, and it's one that really resonates with me right now. Uh, the last couple of years have been really crazy. I mean, for everybody, uh, within my profession, the, the anti-police movement, defunding the police, uh, I've seen a lot of great police officers leave the profession earlier than I think they would have, which if that's what they want to do, 
you know, awesome. I've seen some of them uh, go out and start, you know, totally different careers and they're rocking it. And so yeah. it's, it's fun. I still have a great relationship with them. I'm cheering them on, but somewhere in that time when I was struggling uh, with, you know, do I stay, do I go? I, I started getting back to what do I have control over? What do I really have control over? Because I was allowing myself to get disgruntled, frustrated over things that I had zero control over. And it was a waste of energy. And it was keeping me awake at night. And I like uh, the post that you did. And I don't remember all of it, but you put the things we have control over is your work, your preparation, and your reaction. Can you maybe just talk about what that, unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So that was from, I gave a commencement speech earlier this spring, which was really an honor to be asked to do because I think that's such a big event in those kids' lives. So it was, I only had 10 minutes to talk. So I put a lot of time and effort into trying to pack the most punch into such a short amount of time. And that was one thing I said that things don't ever go as planned. And that was a thing that was consistent for me in being a fighter pilot. You could plan all day and that's very important but things will not go exactly as planned. They will never go hundred percent perfectly. And a lot of times that's out of your control, but you do have control of that preparation so that you're in the best spot to react when things don't go wrong. And then you're in control of how you, how you react to them. And I find myself doing this still where you're, you have a negative reaction to something that didn't go your way or you get, mad at someone's negative comment on social media or whatever it is. And it's, it's human nature, right. To react to that kind of thing, but you're going to be a whole lot more successful and a whole lot more powerful in controlling your destiny. If you realize that sometimes stuff just doesn't go your way, but your reaction could completely control the outcome of it long-term. Yeah. And I think Boy, talking about reaction and social media, putting those two together. Here's the deal. I've, I don't know of an instance in my life where either I have, uh, I have argued with someone on social media or they've argued with me and we've changed the other person's viewpoint. You don't see it, right? You fight back and forth and it's wasted energy. Whereas I have had opportunity where I sit down with another human being and we look at each other face to face, sometimes virtually like this. And I listen to a different perspective and it makes me go, wow, that was in my blinders or that's not a perspective I have based on my upbringing, based on my circumstances, but it gives me more depth and understanding because I had a great conversation with another human. It gets back to that listening piece. Social media, we don't listen. We fire back these arrows trying to fight and win. Um, I actually had somebody... I had made a post on, on one of the different platforms and it had to, I was being vulnerable. I was talking about laying in bed, being in conflict with my wife. She didn't know we were in conflict. She was starting to sleep and I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm getting angry. And about 20, 30 minutes into this, as I'm like that horrible human being, I realized that I was the problem. I was the problem. I had miscommunicated expectation. And, and we didn't jive. And now I'm mad at her. She doesn't even know that I'm mad at her. And if I just got over myself, the conflict is instantly gone. And I saw things through her perspective a little bit. And it, so I post about this on social media and I have some guy attack me on, on 
feminism and this and that. I can't remember all the things that he threw at me. And I'm like, wow, I called it emotional intelligence and just humility. But I mean, whatever. I wanted to actually blow him up. I wanted to sit there and do a record uh, talking about, you know, people's stupid comments on social media. And I recorded it. No one will ever hear it because after I recorded it, I realized, what am I doing? Like, this yeah, isn't not my a good style. Look. Yeah. Well, one, it's not a good look. And two, this isn't my style. I, I impact people's lives through giving them perspective and through positivity, not through me jumping down in, in the, in the mud, in the, you know, the trash heap with people and throwing trash around. But yeah, no, I found myself there. I mean, literally today I blasted someone in my stories for their really mean comment that they wrote that was completely unwarranted. And did I feel a little bit better after doing it? Yes. But was it the most mature response? No, I am going to leave it up there. It'll disappear in 24 hours. But um, I got a lot of, I put that stuff up there sometimes to just, every time I do, I get a lot of messages from other women, especially who are like, I appreciate you standing up for yourself. And so sometimes it's worth doing it just to be like, Hey, I'm not a doorman. I'm not going to take this crap. Um, Yeah but there is a fine line there of getting real fiery and responsive in the comments. And I've, I've done it a few times. My husband's Alice just like, don't do it. And then I get mad at him. Cause I'm like, I don't need you to tell me not to do it. I need you to help defend me. And then he's just like, I just don't want to be involved in this at all. <laughs> so I hear you. Yeah. You get, you get down in the fray and I got a message from someone I really admire. That's just such an amazing person. And he was like, here's my take on, on trolls. He's like, you're an eagle. Eagles don't pay attention to what all the other little birds are doing. They're just soaring along being eagles. And he's like, just be an eagle. (laughs) It was like the funniest response, but I was like, yeah, I mean, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard to some extent. Yeah, no, I agree. I do like though, that you are speaking up, that you aren't just sitting there taking it because I think that goes along with, um, it goes along just from, me being on the outside, looking in at what you're promoting within mindset and leadership and being a strong woman. And unfortunately, unfortunately you have to play by different rules. And all I mean by that is, I don't know how to sit there and articulate it. I don't know. And tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I just, from my experience being in a male dominated profession of law enforcement, I see my female uh, coworkers that are remarkable at the profession. And I think sometimes they have they get the short end of the stick, meaning they just, it's not the same for them, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that post I did about having blinders on and how you view the world through a lens and you don't even realize it. A lot of society is there with gender equality and we've come so far and people are very sensitive to that being brought up because they feel like I'm like attacking you. Like you hate women and all this stuff. And that is never the case. It's not blatant stuff like that. It is what you mentioned. And honestly, the post I just got a, a very negative response for with the top gun stuff. I noticed it very strongly on there because I have a few male counterparts who had made similar posts and the responses were all, Oh, I appreciate your perspective. Oh, I, I disagree a little bit because of this. They were all very respectful. There was none of this, just like there was none of this swearing. There was none of this name calling the belittling none. And then I also look at who did that. And 
to be fair, the bulk of on Instagram, at least the bulk of my followers are male. So it's not an equal sample size, but out of hundreds of comments, I think I had two women say something and their posts were like, it's just a movie. Relax. There wasn't a single woman that called me a name. There wasn't a single woman that swore at me that, and it's just really frustrating when I see that. And it makes me upset. It gets me emotionally riled up, which is why I do get in the fray a little bit because I want to pave the way for all the women that are following me and all the girls that are following me where they can just do their thing and be themselves. And they don't have that limited view of what they're capable of. And they have the same equal playing field. And I think a lot of times people will get angry and they'll be like, it would never make sense for 50% of fire pilots to be women. And I'm like, sure. You're probably right. I mean, people have different interests, whatever, I just want everyone to have the same opportunity to see it as the same potential as the guy sitting next to them. You know what I mean? So that equal representation isn't necessarily the goal. It's equal opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if people want to follow you on different social media channels, what are the best ways to do that? Just search the hashtag Top Gun and I'll come right to the top of the search results. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, on, on LinkedIn, like all the stuff you pulled from today, I post on LinkedIn daily. Um, and it's just my name with my call sign in the middle. So it's Mace or Michelle Mace in quotations, current. And I'm sure in your notes, it'll have the spelling and all of that. And then on Instagram, it's at Mace underscore current. And there's links to my website, all that stuff through those two platforms. So that's usually the best way. I do read my DMs. I don't respond to all of them, but I do see all of them. Um, so if people want to get a hold of me for anything uh, of substance or to ask like a question or something, I, I usually do respond to those. Yeah. And then what's the best way if someone's looking at booking you for a speaking engagement, do you have a website or is it through the different social media platforms? I do have a website. It's just macecurrent.com and that there's an inquiry form on there that goes straight to me via email. Um, I have booked stuff though, from people that have sent me DMS on LinkedIn, um, Instagram as well. I get a lot more on there. So it's a little bit harder to sort through them and keep track of them. So preferably, um, one of the email links or through a DM on LinkedIn. And uh, just like Michelle said, listeners just look down in the comments and you'll have access to all those. Well, Michelle, from someone who served six years in the Air Force and decided a different path, thank you for 13 years in the Air Force because uh, your choice of serving our country literally made us safer. And uh, I know firsthand the sacrifice that that takes uh, to, to commit that much of your life to it. And I never heard anyone say I had to do it more than six. Uh, that was my commitment. I, I lived it out and, uh, and I think it was great. And so for 13 years, that's remarkable. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And thanks for your six years. It doesn't, doesn't change what you did, even though you left at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you for joining me. Have a great day. Absolutely. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciated Michelle's authenticity, being vulnerable as she shares the times that she has experienced imposter syndrome. And I also just love hearing how she persevered through that, how she grew as a woman, as a fighter pilot uh, in so many different uh, areas. And the perspective that she now has to bring to the table, I think is absolutely remarkable. Hey folks, we want to hear from you. Jamie and I are constantly trying to make this podcast 
better. There's a few different ways that you can help us out. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform or YouTube that you're consuming this. If you are consuming this on Apple or Spotify, you can rate and review us. That will increase our viewability on those platforms. Go down to the bottom of our main page. There's five stars waiting down there. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating if, if we've earned it, folks. If we haven't earned it, keep your stars. Shoot us an email instead at chris at gravityct.com. Let us know how we can make it better. Maybe future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Go out and love well. Take care of people. Take care. God bless.